Today on Categorical Imperative, we are going to have to spend a good deal of time talking about one topic I genuinely hoped I would never have to make another video on again. But the Kenosha Kid is back in the news, so let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Hey, greetings. Welcome back once again to Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Locking Liberal, and I do want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. And if you are new to the program, I would especially like to welcome you. Uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be applying legal theory and moral philosophy to current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, don't forget, you can check out the show's new webpage I just put up. Uh, if you head over to Categorical Podcast dot wordpress.com there you can find archives of both the video and audio podcasts of the show uh, going back to the very beginning of this little operation a few years ago now i guess uh, you can also find ways to support the show uh, such as by becoming a patron over on patreon or leaving a tip with venmo or paypal you can also find links to a whole bunch of articles that i churn out on a regular basis for a number of different organizations uh, on all sorts of different topics of law and culture. Now, I want to make sure to mention something right up front to you guys, and that is that today you really are going to want to stick around until the end of the video. While I have no doubt you would have been doing that anyway, uh, today I've got something special going on. So a buddy of mine, uh, Mike Munt, who you may know better by his YouTube channel's name, Dr. Randomer Cam, I recently made an amazing music video that just so happens to perfectly match up with the subject matter of today's video. Uh, he was kind enough to give me permission to show the video in full here on my channel. Uh, it's absolutely fucking hilarious. And let's be honest, by the end of this conversation, we will probably all need to have a good laugh and relax a little bit after a video about how pretty much the entire corporate media and half the country is trying to absolutely destroy the life of this poor 18-year-old kid who was put in a shitty situation and who had no choice but to defend himself against a mob of people who were trying to fucking kill him. So, thank you to Mike for letting me use his video. Uh, you'll find a link to Mike's channel, Dr. Random or Cam, uh, in a card in the upper right-hand corner of this video right about now. Or down in the video description. Uh, and if you don't know uh, who he is, he's probably the funniest YouTuber you've never heard of. you got to go check Mike's stuff out. He's just uh, really a treat. I love the guy so much. Anyways, as I was saying a bit ago, Kyle Rittenhouse is making news once again. And I do want to clarify something. At the beginning, when I say that I hoped I would never have to talk about this subject again, that has nothing to do with Kyle himself or a judgment about him. It's just that I, I, I would just like for him to be able to be a normal 18-year-old kid again and not have to deal with any of this. He's being put in this awful situation, and and I, I only guessing here, but I have to agree that he would much rather have the same thing to just be not known than to be famous in the way that he is. But since he's in the news, we are going to talk about him. Now, he 
made an announcement finally that many people have been hoping would eventually come and one that Kyle had not specifically alluded to in interviews that he began doing immediately after the trial. And that is that he is now ready to begin holding uh, media corporations and others uh, in uh, liable for defamation during the trial and who in many cases have continued to lie about him right up to the present day. Now, back in November, as the trial was unfolding, I spent a lot of time covering it here on the channel. And in fact, a number of the videos I did largely consisted of us watching the corporate media uh, and the way that their coverage was meant to smear and defame Kyle uh, that just wound up with these activists LARPing as journalists ended up entirely be clowning themselves with some of the most ridiculous and nonsensical narratives we have ever heard. Do you have any evidence at all? Well, Your Honor, we've got plenty of hearsay and conjecture. Those are kinds of evidence. And, of course, they went on to try and uh, suck Kyle into every box of unpleasant ist that they could check off. That is to say that he's a racist, he's a white supremacist, he's a far-right extremist, he supposedly traveled across state lines, which they constantly repeat as though that has any meaning whatsoever, which it does not. And don't forget, he had him a big, scary black rifle that he spent like 99.9% .9 of his time there using to maliciously intimidate the sidewalk by pointing his rifle at the ground as he did all manner of violent and racist activity, like cleaning graffiti off of walls, offering first aid services to strangers, and putting out mostly peaceful fires started by mostly non-arsonist intentional fire starters. So, if anyone wants to revisit the actual footage of the corporate media, uh, celebrities, and politicians actually defaming him, I'll put a link to a playlist of those videos in a card in the upper right-hand corner of this video right about now. And for those listening on the audio-only version of the podcast, just check down in the description. Now, where I think this video today might have a tendency to go tits up is... The people who will tell you that what divides Kyle's supporters from his detractors is purely a split, split along political lines. But I want to emphasize that this is emphatically untrue. In every case, whether you believe he acted or in self-defense or he committed an act of unjustified murder comes down to whether you bothered to watch the video that were quite literally available to every single person across the world with internet access within five minutes of the actual event occurring. Now, Ray Charles could see through Stevie Wonder's eyes that this kid acted in self-defense. Now, none of that has to do with absolutely anything that we are going to be talking about today. But the simple fact is, no matter how diplomatically I try to approach this video, uh, it just gets easier to try and get this out of the way here first. So everyone who is going to uh, disregard this show uh, for all these substantive issues I have to make can feel free to go ahead and just check out now. They are obviously incapable of analyzing their own thoughts and those of others with any nuance or critical thinking anyway, so you might as well not waste your time. Uh, but for the rest of you, with at least two brain cells to rub together and a pulse, uh, let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. So, here's where it gets interesting, because 
the actual issues of substance here uh, that we need to address today, it, it has to do with the many false narratives uh, from the right, actually, that have been going crazy these last few days. Now, as many people know, Kyle's supporters have been very anxious to find out when he would finally be holding the people who uh, he said defamed him legally accountable. Well, we're waiting. And with that, Kyle just announced his plan to move forward. Uh, He appeared on Tucker Carlson the other day. And he announced uh, something of a two-part plan that he seems to have to hold these people accountable. Now, first he talked about some kind of non-profit group that he wants to start that he was envisioning called the Media Accountability Project, which has uh, potential. But despite the fact uh, people seem to think Kyle has this whole big elaborate organization worked out, Uh, It really seemed to me like he didn't. He couldn't even really explain exactly uh, what this non-profit's precise purpose or mission or goals were going to be. He just had a catchy title for a so far unfunded political action committee that seems to have uh, creativity and inspiration in spades, but thus far is lacking any real practical concept of what they are considering doing. But that's that's not the thing that I take issue with here. And in fact, I, I will concede right off the bat that maybe there is more going on that he just hasn't shared yet. And whatever this uh, TMAP program is, this uh, nonprofit he is starting, uh, maybe this is something that he has very well thought through and he has a very solid grasp of. And he just cannot or is choosing not for some reason that I am not able to divine uh, to divulge that information in his interviews yet. uh, Maybe he's just trying not to blow his load from the word go. That's possible. I can just only go off what I have seen so far, though. The problem is that everyone whose mouths are salivating at the idea that Kyle has such a slam-dunk case of defamation against all of these people who have been talking shit, that before the end of the year, Kyle will be the owner of several completely worthless pieces of property, such as CNN, The View, Young Turks, and MSNBC. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, uh, because what these people have said about Kyle is awful, and I think that they should be held accountable, and I think they should include monetary damages, Uh, That the fact of the matter is not a single example of what we are talking about here is actually defamation. uh, And Kyle is unfortunately probably not going to see a dime. You'll get nothing and I can. Now, some of his biggest detractors have been uh, people from Whoopi Goldberg to Cenk Uger and Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks, Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, Joy Behar, LeBron James, uh, and even Joe Biden, who famously said, He doesn't want to shed light. He wants to generate heat. And he's stroking violence in our cities. Now, when asked if Kyle was the person that he was thinking about stroking, he said, Joe Biden, I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. 
look me over. If you like what you see, help out. If not, vote for the other guy. Give me a look, though, okay? That's all. Now, when asked who the, quote, other Biden was, he responded, All right, I admit it. I am the Lindbergh baby. Wah, wah, goo-goo. I miss my fly-fly, da-da. Are you trying to stall us, or are you just senile? A little from column A, a little from column B. Now, the problem here is that people are using the term definition based on its common conversational meaning in modern English parlance which is a reasonable definition to operate from because we mostly speak in conversational ways. But the thing is, we need to look at the case law uh, and the statutes that will give us the precise definition of the term, uh, and we will be getting to that applicable statute here momentarily. But first, I do want to point something out that this is also a crucially significant context that I think most people uh, don't really think about or are, are unaware of, more likely. Uh, and that is that there is no single cut and dry definition of many legal terms, including defamation. Now, there is far more complexity in the way that a person interprets statutory legal definitions that I could possibly hope to convey to you guys here in one video and hold your attention. Uh, but if you check out the show notes page for this episode, I do have some helpful links there, including uh, an article and a video I wrote that take a deep dive into the meaning and methodology of statutory construction, as well as links to uh, a really influential series of lectures on how to understand modern statutory construction given by Antonin Scalia at Princeton University in 1994 in a series of lectures entitled Common Law Courts in a Civil Law System, the Role of the United States Courts in Interpreting the Constitution and Laws. But most of the time, when you are dealing with statutory law, each law is going to have its own unique definition of the particular and important terms right there in the statute, and those usually appear in Section 1 of the statute. Now, this is further complicated by the fact that uh, Kyle is a resident of Illinois, and the people he is planning on suing for defamation almost certainly tend to live in California, New York, or Washington, D.C. And since this video is already going to be long and complex enough, I don't have the time to uh, talk about what diversity jurisdiction is, unfortunately. Uh, so, for brevity's sake... I, I'm just going to use Wisconsin law as my example, just because that is where this whole incident actually kicked off, uh, and that's where Kyle's trial was held, uh, and so that's really kind of been the focus of the corporate media shit show. So as far as the criminal law definition of defamation, in Wisconsin, the relevant uh, chapter and law concerning uh, crimes against reputation, privacy, and civil liberties falls under Chapter 942 of Wisconsin Law. And all we have to do is look up Chapter 942, Section 1, and here we find the definition in law for defamation. It, now, there's four definitions. First, whoever with intent to defame communicates any defamatory matter to a third person without the consent of the person defamed is guilty of a Class A misdemeanor. Secondly, 
defamatory matter is anything which exposes the other to hatred, contempt, ridicule, degradation, or disgrace in society, or injury in other businesses or occupation. Third, the section does not apply if the defamatory matter was true and was communicated with good motives and for justifiable ends, or if the communication was otherwise privileged. And fourth, no person shall be convicted on the basis of an oral communication of defamatory matter except upon the testimony of two other persons that they heard and understood the oral statement as defamatory or upon a plea of guilty or no contest. Now, the thing is, that is criminal law, uh, and these cases are most likely going to be tried under civil law. Now, as a matter of civil law, Wisconsin uses what is known as the second edition of the Restatement of Torts. Uh, this is a treatise that essentially summarizes and codifies general principles of common law uh, in United States tort law. Now, their definition of defamatory communication can be found in Section 559, and it reads as follows. Defamatory communication is defined as a communication is defamatory if it tends to harm the reputation of another as to lower him in the estimation of the community or to deter third persons from associating or dealing with him. How about that? I looked something up. These books behind me don't just make the office look good. They're filled with useful legal tidbits just like that. Now, with all this in mind, Let's check out the brief interview that Kyle did with Tucker Carlson a few nights ago to announce the Media Accountability Project. Of course. Me and my team have decided to launch the Media Accountability Project as a tool to help fundraise and hold the media accountable for the lies they said and deal with them in court. So... The plan is to start bringing lawsuits against particular celebrities, politicians, and social media influencers, not only on behalf of himself, it sounds like, but potentially on behalf of other people who, moving forward, may find themselves in similar situations. Now look, personally, I think this is a cool approach to take, and if handled correctly and carefully, it could be an effective way to advocate for truth in media and accountability on behalf of people who are otherwise defamed. Now, what's more, Kyle has some individual lawsuits that he intends to file uh, in the immediate future in regards to specific and maliciously untrue statements made by specific individuals, such as Whoopi Goldberg and Cenk Uger, who have been calling him a murderer. What are you basing that on, Mom? Who wants ginger snaps? Now, of course, uh, as Kyle will point out, that they are continuing to call him a murderer, even though he was acquitted of all charges. Yeah, I mean, they tried to imprison you for the rest of your life. It wasn't coverage. It was advocacy. You have a lot of potential targets to sue yourself. Will you be suing any of these news organizations? And if so, when? Um, well, right now we're looking at quite a few uh, politicians, celebrities, athletes. Whoopi Goldberg's on the list. She called me a murderer after I was acquitted by a jury of my peers. She went on to still say that. 
And there's others. Don't forget about Sank from the Young Turks. He called me a murderer before verdict and continues to call me a murderer. Interesting. And and what about... Now, this also includes claims that were made that he is a white supremacist. And this is an accusation that always seems to come without any kind of explanation or justification whatsoever for their assertion. Do you have any evidence at all? Well, Your Honor, we've got plenty of hearsay and conjecture. Those are kinds of evidence. Now, here is what Kyle has to say about the matter. And, and what about the people who called you groundlessly a white supremacist, which makes it pretty hard to get a job for the rest of your life if you're a white supremacist? Will you be responding to them? Absolutely. We are going to hold everybody who's lied about me accountable, such as um, everybody who's lied, called me a white supremacist. Yeah. They're all going to be held accountable, and we're going to handle them in a courtroom. Kyle Rittenhouse, I appreciate your announcing that. Now, these accusations that have been made about Kyle are undoubtedly reprehensible. But that doesn't necessarily make them defamatory. Now, to begin to understand why that would be, we need to understand that there are different elements that must be proven. And we also need to understand the judicial test that has been applied to apply a particular set of facts to a case and to determine if it does in fact meet the threshold of an actionable claim. Now, while there is no single clear-cut definition of defamation, what we do have is an outline of four basic elements of defamation, and all four of these must be proven uh, for a defamation claim to be actionable. So defamation is a statement that injures a third party's reputation. The tort of defamation includes libel, which is written statements, and slander, which is spoken statements. And those four elements, which all must be proven, uh, and you must prove these prima facie for a, uh, for a conviction on defamation, the plaintiff must show all four. First of all, a false statement purporting to be fact. Secondly, a publication or communication of that statement to a third person. Third, fault amounting to malicious intent. And in rare cases such as with minors, the standard is lower to at least negligence. And fourth, damages or some harm caused to the person or entity who is the subject of the statement. And, of course, the plaintiff has the burden of proof to show fault. Now, most states will assume that a speaker who defames another necessarily has the requisite guilty state of mind, uh, such as in the case Levinsky's Incorporated versus Walmart Stores Incorporated. Uh, this was out of the First Circuit in 1997. The court held that in Maine, all defamation claims need showing of fault, which requires the plaintiff to prove that the defamation was at least negligent. And you need to bear in mind that there is a big distinction to be drawn in defining defamation in conversational and legal meaning uh, as to the application of the third element, which is malice. And there are 
just like there is conversational and legal defamation, there are two different concepts known as malice in fact and malice in law, and these are not the same thing. Now, while malice in fact uh, can be a somewhat nebulous term in its meaning, depending on all manner of different contexts that could be associated with it, Bailey F. Johnson, who is a 19th century English jurist who coined the phrases malice in fact and malice in law, said that these various interpretations of malice in fact could be grouped into two broad headings. Either first, spite or ill will, and second, any improper motive. However, to define malice in law, you have to meet what is known as the actual malice standard. Now, in New York Times versus Sullivan, the Supreme Court held that for a publicly known figure to succeed on a defamation claim, the public figure plaintiff must show that the false defaming statements were said with actual malice. The Sullivan Court stated that actual malice means that the defendant said the defamatory statement with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard of whether or not it was false. The Sullivan Court also held that when the standard is actual malice, the plaintiff must actually prove malice by clear and convincing evidence, rather than the usual much lower standard for a burden of proof in a civil case which is merely a preponderance of the evidence standard. On this point, the precise language uh, of Sullivan and the Sullivan Court uses is that the plaintiff must show the convincing clarity which the constitutional standard demands. Now, as far as applicability to Kyle, uh, what many people have said about Kyle are indeed false statements purported to be fact. That these statements were made publicly uh, and that damage has, rec has occurred as a result of these statements are all no problem to meet as far as a burden of proof. They will have no problem identifying the, the first, second, and fourth element of defamation. But where most defamation cases run into trouble, uh, and the first of several places that Kyle's case will run into trouble, is improving malice. It is not easy to prove that these people knew what they were saying was untrue and still made the claim with other disregard for their falsehood and the potential consequence of those acting on that malicious statement. But it gets worse. When it comes to defamation, there are two pretty much absolute defense against the charge of defamation, truth and opinion. Now, if the fucked up thing that you say is true, you are in the clear. And if you can show that you were expressing your opinion and not making a statement of fact, you are also in the clear. So, I want to drive this point home just to be perfectly clear about how settled the law on this is. And uh, I came with the legal precedent that will show that, in fact, specifically calling people a white supremacist and a murderer is not defamation. Let's start with white supremacists. Because, no, unfortunately, courts have concluded that that term is just an opinion and name-calling. 
Now, a lot of derogatory and even unfairly derogatory criticism is treated as pure opinion and thus not legally actionable. Therefore, claiming that someone's appearance in a video, especially one that uh, we can all think of that reflects a, quote, smirk rather than a painted smile, stems from racism, is likely to be seen as an opinion. A reasonable reader would understand that it is the poster's subjective judgment about the video subject's motives, and thus it is speculation rather than assertion, and not, therefore, provable fact. Now, to quote a nice summary from a recent federal district court case of Squitary versus Piedmont Airlines Incorporated from 2018 uh, out of the District Circuit of North Carolina, The statement indicating the the plaintiff is racist are clear expressions of opinion that cannot be proven as verifiably true or false. While there appears to be no North Carolina court expressly addressing this issue, many courts in other jurisdictions that have faced issues of defamation claims based on accusations of bigotry or racism have held the statements to be non-actionable statements of opinion, and that includes the big list of cases you see there: Stevens versus Tillman, Standing Common versus Standing Common on Discipline versus Yagman, uh, Ward v. Zalavaski, uh, Savino v. Hagerman, Williams v. Kanemaru, and Lennon v. Cayuga County Juvenile Court. So. While the statements that were made about Kyle, as we've gone over, are purported to be fact, uh, while people say they are purported to be fact, and that these statements were made publicly and that damage has occurred, people are going to have a problem. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I see where I fell off. Okay, never mind. So, here is the... uh, the case of Squitary v. Piedmont Airlines from 2018, and in that case they found that statements indicating that the plaintiff is racist are clearly expressions of opinion that cannot be proven as verifiably true or false, and while there appears to be no North Carolina court expressly addressing this issue, many courts in other jurisdictions have faced the issue of defamation claims based on accusations of bigotry or racism and held that the statement was non actionable and a statement of opinion and this includes uh, a long list of cases here we have uh, Stephen versus Tillman which held that neither general statements charging a person with being racist unfair unjust nor references of general discriminatory discriminatory treatment without more constitute provably false assertions of fact and we have standing communications on discipline v Yagman which held that Calling a judge anti-Semitic was a non-actionable opinion. In Ward v. Zalavaski, the accusation that the plaintiff, quote, hated Jews was non-actionable. In Covino v. Hagman, dismissing defamation claim came based on a statement that the plaintiff was, quote, racially insensitive and observing, quote, an expression of opinion is not actionable as a defamation, no matter how offensive uh, putative or unreasonable it may be, and accusations of racism and prejudice have routinely been found to constitute non-actionable expressions of opinion. 
Now in Williams v. Kanemaru, an accusation of racism based on disclosed facts not, was not actionable for defamation. And in Lennon v. Cayuga County Juvenile Court, they found that the appellant being called a racist was a matter of one employee's opinion and thus is constitutionally protected speech, not subject to a defamation claim. And to quote the general rationale for this position from one of my favorite circuit court judges, Judge uh, Frank Easterbrook uh, from the Seventh Circuit, writing in the 1983 case of Stevens versus Tillman, he said, The word racism has been watered down by overuse, becoming a common coin in political discourse. Tillman called Stevens a racist. Stevens issued a press release calling Tillman a racist and his supporters bigots. Formerly, a racist was a believer in the superiority of one's own race, often a supporter of slavery or segregation, or a fomenter of hatred among the races. Politicians sometimes use the term much more loosely as referring to anyone, not of the speaker's race, who opposes the speaker's political goals, on the rationale that the speaker espouses only what is good for the jurisdiction or the audience, and since one's opponents have no cause to oppose what is beneficial, that opposition must be based on race. Now, the term has acquired intermediate meanings, too. The speaker may use a term such as, quote, she is a racist to mean, quote, she is condescending to me, which must be because of my race, because there is no other reason to condescend, end quote. A reaction that attaches racial connotations to what may be an inflated opinion of one's own self, or to mean she thinks all black mothers are on welfare, which is stereotypical. Meanings of this sort com uh, fit comfortably within the immunity for name-calling. And he goes on to say, language is subject to leveling forces. When a word acquires a strong meaning, it becomes useful in rhetoric. A single word conveys a powerful image. When plantation owners held blacks in chattel slavery, when a hundred years later governors declared segregation now, segregation forever, everyone knew what a quote racist was, and the strength of the image invites this use. To obtain emotional impact, orators employed the term without strong justification, shading its meaning just a little. So long as any part of the old meaning lingers, there is a tendency to invoke the word for its impact rather than to convey any kind of precise meaning. We may regret that the language is losing the meaning of a word, especially when there is no ready substitute, but we serve in a court of law rather than of language and cannot insist the speakers cling to older meanings. In daily life, racist is hurled about so indiscriminately that it is no more than a verbal slap in the face. The target can slap back, as Stevens did. It is not actionable unless it implies the existence of undisclosed defamatory facts, and Stevens has not relied on any such implications. And hopefully you guys can see why I like Judge Frank Easterbrook so much there. Uh, yeah, Saying something that a lot of us have been saying for a long time that you don't really expect to hear from a circuit court judge. Now, 
falsely accusing someone of a specific act, such as firing or prosecuting someone because of the target's race, may well be libelous. Thus, for instance, in McElroy v. Philadelphia Newspapers Incorporated in 1996, The court held that characterizing the plaintiff as having acted improperly by abusing his power as a district attorney to elected office to further racism in his own political aspirations could be actionable. But the court specifically stressed that the statement did more than merely label the plaintiff a racist. The statement was actionable because it focused on what the plaintiff supposedly did rather than what he believed and amounted to a charge of misconduct in office. So, saying Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist isn't libelous because it is understood as an opinion. But, falsely asserting Kyle Rittenhouse has joined the Ku Klux Klan may be libelous, unless the context shows that this is just hyperbole or a joke of some such. But what about murder, the other term that he brought up here? Now, false factual allegations about someone may well be libelous, but opinions, as I said, are not. So is saying Kyle Rittenhouse is a murderer, or conversely, saying like O.J. Simpson is a murderer, a factual assertment or a statement of opinion? Well, it depends on whether the statement is reasonably understood as either one, implying that the speaker knows undisclosed, unpublicized facts that implicate the target, in which case it would be potentially actionable, or, secondly, expressing the speaker's opinion about the facts that had been publicly discussed, which is non-actionable. For instance, consider two more detailed statements I've come up with here. Statement 1. I had a conversation with Rittenhouse yesterday, and he told me about what happened. The man is a murderer. Now, that is an actionable factual assertion, which is to say it could lead to liability. Now, secondly, if I said, I've watched a lot of coverage of the case, and the jury got it wrong, the man is a murderer, this is a non-actionable opinion, which is to say that as a matter of law, it is not something you can be held liable for. Now, the question is whether, in context, the bare statement, Rittenhouse is a murderer, implies what is set forth in number one above or in number two. Generally speaking, I suspect that most statements of Rittenhouse is a murderer variety would be opinion because listeners would think the speaker they wouldn't think the speaker has any special knowledge beyond what we have heard in the news. Now, if you want an example of this, we can take a look at the case of Gazelle versus Clear Channel Communications from 2012, in which they found that the plaintiff sued based on statements made by defendant Robert Lonsberry, the host of a radio talk show that aired on a station owned by defendant Clear Channel Communications Incorporated. The statement at issue made during an on-air discussion that Robert Lonsberry had with Jacqueline Inzinga the day after her brother, John Gazelle, was acquitted of criminally negligent homicide for fatally shooting a man in a hunting accident. According to plaintiffs, Lonsbury asked Inzinga how it felt to have a brother who was a cold-blooded murderer, 
and whether the plaintiff put a notch in the stock of his gun as he kills people. And Lonsbury told Nzinga that the haunting incident could not, the, excuse me, the hunting incident, the hunting incident could not have been an accident. Now, each one of Lonsbury's statements here at issue constitute a non-actionable expression of pure opinion because Lonsbury's statements were based on facts that were widely reported by Western New York media outlets and were known to his listeners. It cannot be said that his statements were based on undisclosed facts. Further, the context in which these statements were made supports the conclusion that a reasonable listener would not have thought that Lonsbury was stating facts. Lonsbury's show used a call-in format and generally provided a forum for public debate on newsworthy topics, and his statements were made during an on-air debate with his listeners regarding the plaintiff's culpability and whether the jury had properly acquitted the plaintiff. Lonsbury has engaged his listeners in similar debates regarding plaintiff's culpability on several previous occasions. In addition, some of Lonsbury's callers had used harsh and intemperate language, and the tone of Lonsbury's statements were obviously intended to be caustic and confrontational rather than factual, and the court therefore concluded that the defendant had established their entitlement to judgment as a matter of law that the statement in question were expressions of pure opinion and not actionable. Now, to jump over to uh, Illinois law, which follows this distinction between statements that sufficiently imply the existence of undisclosed facts which may be actionable and statements that, do, that don't do so and are thus seen as opinion based on widely discussed facts and are therefore not actionable. And I bring this up because Rittenhouse lives in Illinois and it is Illinois law that would possibly apply here for a libel claim. Now, of course, more specific factual assertions may well be libelous if they are false and tend to damage his reputation. Uh, I'm just talking about claims generally that someone might say he is a murderer. Now, these cases plainly lay out truth and opinion as defenses against defamation. And if listening to people should... If you're listening to people shit-talking about Kyle, it, it, that, is, that is what they're doing. They're shit-talking. And um, the fact is that they're, they're actually technically doing both of these things. They are making factually true statements and giving you an opinion. Now, we'll get... Let's look at what Whoopi Goldberg had to say about Kyle, and it will become... Uh, incredibly obvious uh, now that you are looking for it. Watch. Now, and now he, I, he wasn't doing anything. Right. He was trying to, he saw he an active, active shooter. shooter. Right. You know, he saw someone get shot. He thought he was doing the right thing. That's right. Yeah. So and even I, 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 even all the excuses in the world <laughs> does not change the fact that three people got shot. Yeah. yeah. Two people were murdered. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's murder. I'm sorry. Now, to be fair, that does start out with an outright lie. Anthony Huber didn't see anyone get shot. 
well, except for himself. But because Whoopi hasn't watched the footage, she doesn't know that Huber didn't join the chase until several blocks and several minutes after Jacob Rosenbaum had tried to kill Kyle, and Kyle defended himself, and Rosenbaum paid with his life. But that lie was about Anthony Huber, and it made him sound like a good person instead of a violent child raper like he was. So when we get to Kyle, she says, quote, that doesn't change the fact that three people were shot, two died, end quote. That is a factual statement. Three people were shot, two died. She then goes on to say two people died. To me, that's murder. That's clearly an opinion. Now, these people are dumb, but they are not stupid. And one thing you have to understand is that the companies that they are working for are not news organizations. They are entertainment corporations. And the fact of the matter is that this is true for nearly all the people in question. The people calling him out are not journalists and reporters among the free press. Now, this is most obvious with Whoopi Goldberg and the fucking ladies of The View. Uh, but now, when Chink of the Young Turks or Chris Hayes over at MSNBC will try to give you the impression that they are journalists covering the news, this is simply not true. They are political commentators who are discussing newsworthy topics. But if you think about it for just a second, no one has ever watched anything the Young Turks put out uh, because they believed that Chink and Anna were obviously objective journalists reporting the facts and nothing more. That's not what they do. What they do is give you enough relevant pieces of newsworthy information that sufficiently lay the foundation for them to then add their own political commentary. Cenk Uger will say that Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty on all five counts against him, and he will then spend the next 30 minutes spinning a narrative about how this proves that the judge is a racist, and Kyle killed two people, and as far as Cenk is concerned, that makes Kyle a murderer, and the fact that Kyle wasn't found guilty just means that the criminal justice system is racist, and the 2A community supported Kyle because they were excited to learn that they now have a legal precedent for them to go out and kill people in cold blood and claim it was self-defense, and so on, and so on, and so on. And don't get me wrong here. It's not just leftist political commentators. This goes on all the time where people are discussing newsworthy topics. It's the same thing when you're talking about Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity or Ben Shapiro. They are doing the same thing that a Cenk Uger or a Rachel Maddow does. And just to be clear, that list was not just a few random examples of people who give political commentary. Every one of those people I just named, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Ben Shapiro, and Rachel Maddow, every one of those TV show hosts have, at some point in the past, been sued for defamation gone to court, said that they were political commentators expressing their opinion and doing so to entertain their audience just as much, if not more, than they were doing it to inform their audience. I, I think people will remember when uh, Rachel Maddow called uh, One American News Network Russian propaganda and she was sued for it. 
that was the argument she used. This is, and, and that's again, I, I can't stress this enough. That is the same argument that Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity have both used themselves in court when sued for defamation. Now, I realize this sounds really probably sleazy and dishonest if you've never heard it said quite this way before, but in a certain sense, I don't know that there's really much wrong with this in that they are giving their audience what they want. If their audience was looking for objective and purely informational reporting on the news itself devoid of entertainment or commentary, that's what they would be watching. Now, just imagine if every time Fox News called a Democrat a communist, and they were still talking about the larger faction of the Democratic Party that still takes the term communist as an insult, we all know that when Sean Hannity calls Nancy Pelosi a communist, he doesn't mean communist. He means right now the Democrats are in control of the government, so I am back to pretending that I'm a fiscal conservative and debt and borrowing is bad when they do it and that they want to borrow lots of money that we don't have. And you know who else likes spending lots of money they don't have? Communists. No one seriously thinks that Pelosi is a card-carrying fucking Bolshevik when he says that. Or what about the millions of different ways every single Fox News host and pretty much every Republican and even some of the more honest Democrats like Tulsi Gabbard have straight up called Hillary Clinton out for the criminal that she is? Sure, there is a lot of strong evidence that she has committed many felonies, but she has never been convicted of these crimes, so... When Republicans call her a criminal, do you believe they actually mean that she has literally been convicted of committing felonious acts? Or do you understand that it is opinion, it is hyperbole, and they are expressing the fact that she is a dirty politician who has done unsavory things in the pursuit of power and wealth? Because that's probably what you mean. And it's not the same thing as being a convicted criminal. So, look. Kyle... I like Kyle. I think it is disgusting the way he is being shit on by these people and the situation which was, the situation he has been put in in which he had no choice but to defend himself. And now he is being demonized simply for defending himself when put in that situation. But all that said, don't be surprised when the lawsuit goes nowhere. But Bob, I hear you saying, you're forgetting about Nick Sandman. He sued CNN because the entire nation was calling him a smirking, smarmy racist for having an awkward look on his face because some race-baiting professional victim, world-class lying douchebag Nathan, Nathan Phillips, put him in an incredibly awkward situation trying to uh, perpetuate a hate crime hoax. And when put in an awkward situation, the kid had an awkward look on his face. Now, you need to remember... First of all, Sandman was a minor at the time that this happened and at the time that he sued, which meant that he didn't have to prove that very difficult element of malice. All he had to do was show that the statement that was made about him was false and that CNN knew the statement was false but ran with it anyway, which is very easy to do. Now, though I believe Kyle deserves the recognition that people lied about him, and he deserves a big fat paycheck to remind folks at places like CNN that it doesn't pay to be a libelous, slimy dickhead. B 
because they value a narrative over facts, there is very little chance that that day is going to come. The best Rittenhouse could reasonably hope for is possibly a public retraction, which, as CNN has demonstrated recently with Joe Rogan, really doesn't mean much anyway because they will not hesitate to continue telling the very same lie that they retracted. So, the fact is, just like Joe Rogan, I, I have a feeling that Kyle will get an apology that won't hit him where it hurts. Hit them where it hurts, I should say. CNN. That is the pocketbook. Now, I wish Kyle the best of luck. And if I turn out to be wrong here, I will happily admit my error. But the fact is, I'm not going to be proved wrong, unfortunately. Anyways, that is going to do it for me here today. I want to remind you to stay tuned. I've got a great video coming up here for you from Dr. Random Cam, my good buddy Mike Munt. Uh, and so... Uh, real quick, let me just remind you guys, if you like the video, go ahead and hit that thumbsy uppy button down there. If you dislike the video, hit that little thumbsy downy button. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, do that so you always know when I've got my latest new material out. Uh, go and uh, check out the show's webpage to find links to my archives, to my articles, to ways you can support the show, all of that good stuff. Uh, and yeah, I guess all this really left to say is that this has been me, uh, Lockean Liberal, for Categorical Imperatives talking about the Kenosha Kid, and of course, as always, De Lenda S. Carthago. Skateboard, Mr. Hoover. Praise the Lord and 
join the zombie horde, Mr. Hoover and the Zoomers. We'll lay down in the road as they struggle to reload. Nothing can go wrong, there won't be a shooter. Say, 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 were they molested first? Maybe they've been abused since birth. <laughs> We've never seen a female pedophile. Just a thing as far as we can see.